Thanks. You can have a seat. Would you just bow with me? Father, that's our prayer, that we as a church body would work together to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to serve the folks that you bring our way with the love of Jesus Christ, to show them your forgiveness and how much you care, to make a picture of what your body, unified, working together, looks like. God, would you grant us the courage to say yes to you first, to allow your spirit to guide and direct us, and then to work arm in arm for the glory of God. In the next few moments, as we open your word, I pray that your spirit would open our hearts to understand what it is that you want to say to us. I pray that it's your words that we hear, not mine. I pray that your spirit would have control of my words and my heart and my thoughts. In your name we pray. Amen. So the last little while, we've been finishing up a study in the book of John, and we wrapped that up last week. And we're going to jump right into another study uh, this morning. We're going to jump into the book of Colossians, one of the little epistles partway through the New Testament. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in the next, oh, eight weeks or so, wandering through the book of Colossians. And you may wonder, why is that important? Why would we jump into that next? You know, what... What would, would draw you guys to the book of Colossians? Well, one thing is, I really like the book. I'll be honest. Um, and I know Pastor Mike does as well. The other is, is the book of Colossians gives us a picture of what it means to be in Christ. What it means to be a Christ follower. And as Pastor Mike and I were chatting about this, there was just so many thoughts that come out of the book of Colossians as far as what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ, and I want to give you some background to this book in the next few moments. We're going to talk about this morning, as Christ followers, that we pray in Christ, but let me give you just some some thoughts about the book so that you understand where it is coming from, what it's really about as we jump into this study. Paul wrote this book, and he never traveled to the little city of Colossae. Usually, on his missionary journeys, he had traveled to most of the towns that he wrote back to, But this one, he didn't. This wasn't on his journey anywhere. It is believed that Epaphras, one of the guys that he writes to, and he mentions him a little later on in this book, in the chapter we're going to read, came to faith under Paul in Ephesus, in a little town that's fairly close there. And he came to faith, and when he did, he didn't hang out with Paul. He took off, and he went back to his hometown, And he shared his faith, and a church was born. And I want to stop here for a minute, because I want you to understand something about the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, Jesus used ordinary, everyday people. They were his disciples. They were the ones who followed him, and the ones who came to faith. And that's how he started his church. It wasn't through um, this this great learning, or this great, uh, maybe, program that was designed to plant the church. That's not what happened. It's Folks came to faith in Jesus Christ, they came to understand who Jesus was, and they gave their heart and their soul to Jesus. In other words, they accepted the gift that Jesus Christ gave by his death on the cross for them, and they said, look, that's what I need, I need somebody who paid the price for my sin. And when they accepted it, the Spirit of God, the Bible tells us, that the Spirit of God comes and he lives in us, and when he did that, those folks that were full of the Spirit of God, went, you know what, I want everybody to know what I have, and so off they would go. And they would teach their friends and their family the very same thing that had happened to them. And when they did that, the church was planted. Hey, folks, the same thing can happen today. 
Yeah, when God gets a hold of our hearts and he changes us for real and we begin to share what's going on internally, that the love of Jesus Christ has changed me, it's changed my view, it's changed how I view my relationships, it's changed how I do business, it's changed how I live life with my spouse, with my kids, with my extended family. All of a sudden, the truth of who Jesus Christ is is planted in other people's hearts, and that's what happened with this little church. Now, like so often happens when we come to faith, Satan doesn't just sit around and go, yay, they're coming to faith, they're going to Jesus, yes! Do you think that's what happened? We're in a spiritual battle, folks. That's what Scripture tells us. You and I are in a spiritual battle every day of our life. And Satan does not sit on the sidelines and go, man, I hope they get this all straightened out. I hope they figure out what it means to live in Christ. I hope that that God can, can free them. He's not doing that. He's doing just the opposite. And he's saying, I hope that I could mess them up, confuse them, cause them to think things that are not true about God so that I can draw them away from their faith and I can lead them in a path that would confuse them so that they in turn will confuse others. That's what he wants to do. And in this little town, that's what was happening. So, so this guy, he comes back and he shares his faith with this group of people in this town and a church is planted, but at the same time, There are those who show up and begin to teach false doctrine, false truths. And they begin to say things like this. The Jewish law, if you keep the law, you can make your way to God. If you're good enough, Steve, if you're, no, forget it, it's not Steve. (laughs) And that's exactly how people would feel. If you're good enough, if you do all the right things, you'll get to God. And they began to teach things about astrology. And they said, look, if you can figure out what the stars are saying to you, then if you can go to a medium and they can tell you the truth about your life, then you can get to God. And they began to talk about there are many ways to God. You're just, you're not, you're not paying close enough attention. There are all kinds of ways to God. And Paul heard about this and he writes a letter. And he says, I'm worried for your soul. I'm concerned for you. And I want to write you a letter about that. Hey, let me say something to you this morning. What was going on in that little town of Colossae is going on today. The exact same thing is happening today. If you listen, the whole thing of tolerance, the whole thing of there are many ways to God, there are many religions that point to God. Folks, there's only one way to God. It's through Jesus Christ, and it is found through the scriptures of the Bible. It's the only way there is to God. There is no other way to God. And scripture makes it very clear that that's true. And today, in our world, oh, just accept everybody and everything will be okay. And that's not true. It's a lie from Satan himself. And Paul was concerned about that, so he pens this little letter. Today we say this, let's just take all the good parts of all the religions, we'll add them all up and try the best we can, and maybe God will be happy. I can already tell you how God is happy. God is happy through the work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross and paying for the sins of mankind. He already wrote it for us. We live in a day and age when the word Christian and the concept of going to church and saying that I am a follower of Christ is very common. And people will say, oh yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. The struggle is 
that just because I make a claim does not mean that anything really has changed in my heart. If I am the one who is trying to make the change, if I am the one who is determining what will happen in me and what I need to produce, then I am not really following Jesus Christ. You see, to be a Christ follower means that I follow Christ. (laughs) You say, Tim, that's awful simple. Well, it's true. To be a Christ follower means that I, I take what Jesus Christ says about himself and what God the Father has said about Jesus Christ, and I believe it. And not only do I believe it, but I put it into action in my heart, and that's why Paul writes this letter. It's not that I follow the stuff that I like about Christ. <laughs> it's not that I, I pick certain things out that seem really cool about Christ. Because there are those things too, right? I mean, Jesus was a nice guy. <laughs> he liked a lot of people. He helped a lot of people. I want to help people. I must be a Christ follower. If I truly follow Christ, then it will become evident in how I walk out my everyday life. Not one day a week, not when it works for me, every day. I'm in Christ. The main thought of this book as we jump into it is this, the preeminence of Christ. That means this, that Christ is first. He's the head. He's number one. He's first place. He takes all other things out of the way, and he owns first place. Now, in our day and age, we say this, i got to set my priorities. You ever heard that? That's a struggle. What's the word priority mean? Anybody? Right, first. How do you have many firsts? That's called schizophrenia. All right? But we do this all the time. We say, look, I'm going to set up my priorities, all of my first places. And that's not what this is about. What he says in here is this, is that preeminence, Christ, is number one. He's it. He's the beginning. He's the start of all things. And that's what Paul is going to point to us and help us to understand. So every time in the next few weeks that we look at this book, we're going to ask this question. Are you ready for this? Here it is. Here's the question. What does it mean to be in Christ? So if you have a pen and a paper, just know this. Every week, we're going to work at answering the question, what does it mean to be in Christ? And you can sit there this morning and start thinking about that. Start thinking about your own life. What does it mean for you to be in Christ? And I will end this week, and we will end every week that we do this study with this. Because we are in Christ, we, and we'll have something That finishes that. Are you ready for that? So we're going to ask the question at the beginning. What's the question? I see if you're with me. If you're sleeping, what's the question? Okay, so 50% of you got it. Let's do it one more time. What's the question? Awesome. What does it mean to be in Christ? And then we're going to end with this. Because I am in Christ, or because we are in Christ, all right? And I'll give you that at the end this morning. We need to walk out. If you're a Christ follower, if you're just checking this out, then just listen, okay? But if you're a Christ follower, we need to walk out every aspect of our life in Christ. 
I want to stop. I'm going to go slow. I know usually I'm on speed here, okay? But I want you to get this. From the moment that your little eyes open up in the morning. You know, 4.32 when the birds start singing right now, if your windows are open and your hearing aids are in. From the moment your little peepers open up to the moment that you lay that head of yours down on the pillow. Paul's going to talk about being in Christ every single waking moment of the day. If you're a Christ follower, is that you? Is that you? That every moment of your day is wrapped up in who Jesus Christ is and who Christ is in you? That's what we're going to talk about. This always starts internally. We're not telling, we're not talking about what you look like. It's a good thing. I'm looking at you. Okay? We're talking about internally who we are. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading at verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. I want to read the first eight verses. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it, and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learned this from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. I'm going to start right there. I want you to understand. Here's the beginning. In Christ, we pray. We begin with prayer. We begin internally by praying in Christ. And if you look at the very beginning of this, Paul starts this letter and he says this, look, I'm praying for you. I don't know you. I haven't met you. And that's the same with a lot of folks in this church. Some of you I don't know very well, but I pray for you. I don't pray for you by name, but I pray for you as you come into this body. I pray for you during the week that the Spirit of God would be able to minister to your heart. I pray that when you come here, that you would hear from God, that you would experience what God has for you. I pray for you. Paul says, look, I don't know you all, but I pray for you. And in praying for you, this is what I'm praying. I'm praying that you would love Jesus because you, it's evident. It's evident in the people that you've talked to, other believers. It's evident in the fact that the truth of the gospel is working out in your life and you're growing, you're bearing fruit. The the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, all of those things are happening in your life. It's evident with the people that you're living with and it's being passed on. We pray. Let me ask you a question. Do you pray for believers? Paul says, first and foremost, pray. We pray. I pray for Epaphras as he shares the truth of the word of God. God, use him in the hearts of people. We pray, we pray, we pray. But so often, folks, let me say what our prayer looks like. You ready for this? Sorry if I step on toes because I step on mine. We pray this. God, bless me. God, keep us safe. God, make us healthy. God, give us food. God give us riches. God, let it be sunny. 
God, let us have fun. And that's our prayer. And so often our prayer is wrapped up in, God, make me feel good. God, you're the genie. If I do things right, you'll make me happy. God, you'll bless my family. You'll keep my kids safe. God, you'll keep us healthy. We won't have to worry about anything going on in our life because we love God and everything will be great. That's our prayer. That's the North American prayer. And most of our life, that's what it focuses on. God, me, 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 happy, 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 keep me good. Love you. Goodbye. That's what we do. And it's very interesting to me as I read this passage of Scripture, I don't see any of that in Paul's writing at all. So what should we pray? What should our prayer life be like? Well, I think Paul gives us a beautiful picture of what our prayer life should be like. Look at verse 9. He says this. For this reason also, since the day we heard of this, which is their faith, they're coming to know Jesus Christ, that Epaphras had shared his faith in Jesus Christ and they accepted Jesus Christ and that the gospel of Jesus Christ was bearing fruit in their hearts and their lives. He said, since we heard about this, look at this. We haven't stopped praying for you. He didn't say when we heard that you were happy, when we heard that, that you were wealthy, when, you, we, when we heard that your life was all fitting together, then we, then we were saying, praise God. That's not what he says. He says this. He says, when we found out that the faith had taken root in your life and the Spirit of God got a hold of your heart in your life and you begin to bear fruit, we haven't stopped praying for you. Now, look at what he prays. This is so incredible. Look at what he prays for these people. I want to read it to you. He says this. For this reason, we haven't stopped praying. Look at this. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Do you see any get happy? Do you see any keep me healthy? Do you see any keep it easy? Do you see any keep me safe? I don't. When Paul writes this, he says this to this group of people. Look, I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of God. That you would know God. I'm praying that you would have His wisdom deep in your heart. So when you make decisions, you say yes to God first, not how do I feel in this decision. It's what does God want? What is the Spirit of God leading me to do? How is the Spirit of God changing me? That you would understand the will of God. The Bible tells us this about the will of God, that the will of God is about your sanctification. Your sanctification is this, that you would become more like Jesus Christ. That's your sanctification. So Paul is praying this. I'm praying first and foremost that you would look like Jesus Christ and that you would be wise in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, and that you would have spiritual understanding, that you would know the Word of God so well that when people are talking to you and they're, they're giving you other forms of religion and they're leading you down a path that's not right, you go, I know God and I know Jesus so well, this is not right. This is not right. That's Paul's prayer for those believers. What's your prayer for believers been like? What do you pray for? 
When you're praying for your kids who know Jesus Christ, or maybe they don't yet, but you're praying for those in your family who are Christ followers, what have you been praying for? Spiritual understanding and wisdom? Spiritual discernment? That they would know God? Knowing Him. Why do they pray this way? Why does Paul pray this way? If you got a pen and you got a paper, write this down because Paul knows something that is so important to our life. And here it is. You ready for this? It is who I am on the inside that determines who I am on the outside. It is who I am. It's the internals that determine the externals. It's not, oh, I want to I want to do better at this. I want to work hard at that. It's not it. It's getting on my face before God and making my heart and my life in line with Jesus Christ and allowing the Spirit of God to have a hold of my heart. And when He changes the internal part of me, the externals follow. And so Paul's prayer for these people is, look, God, I'm concerned not about what they're doing on the outside. I want the inside to follow Jesus Christ. I want them to become like you. Paul knew something. The internals drive the externals. We're always trying to tweak the externals, make us look a little better. (laughs) If people see me a little better, I got it. Paul's like, no. Look at verses 10 to 14. This is why they pray. He prays this. Here's the outcome of it, okay? Follow along with me in verses 10 to 14. He says this so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. Look at this. First of all, I pray this so that you would be worthy of God, that you would walk worthy. It means this, to walk in honor of God. This is what it looks like. God, I pray for my buddy Glenn. God, I ask that Glenn would know your will and your wisdom. That he would understand your truth well enough that everything he does would bring honor to your name. That's what that looks like. That's what Paul's praying right there. That he would honor you in his life. Second thing he says this, that they would bear fruit, it would be this. God, I pray that their life would produce so much love, so much joy, so much peace, so much patience and kindness that the people that they're living life with couldn't help but change who they are because the Spirit of God is bearing fruit in them that's rubbing off. That's their prayer. That's his prayer, that they would bear fruit. That they would grow in knowledge. God, may the word of God be so deep in their hearts that all they do is hear from you with everybody that they're with, everybody they're dealing with, that they would hear from you. God, would you grant in them the strength of the power of God? Would it be at their disposal and would they use it with their family at work? with the people that they're struggling with in life, because all of us are struggling with someone, God, would they experience the strength of God in their life? That's Paul's prayer. That's what he's praying for these believers. If you keep going in those verses, look at verse 11. It says this, being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might, so that, now here's the next, look, 
so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Stop here for a minute. I want to ask you something. The people that you're living life with this week, you're a Christ follower, you've been praying, you're praying for believers, would they tell you, if you asked them, would they say, look, this person has incredible endurance because of the presence of God in their life. I see it every time I'm with them. It doesn't matter the struggles. It doesn't matter what's going on in their life. They're just enduring because God's in them. I can see it. It's evident in their life. They are the most patient person I have ever been with. Is that how they would describe you? Come on, be honest. Don't lose me now. Don't shut me off. Okay? Look, let me say something to you about my life. I grew up in a home with a dad who I could say that of. The most patient man I have ever met in my life. I never heard my dad raise his voice. I never heard my dad... My dad would come along, even when I was, and I was wrong a lot, believe me, I was corrected often, okay? There was times when, when I met the belt, very, and I needed it. I'm not saying that because I didn't, I did. But even in that, he was the most patient man that I ever met. Even in correcting me, even in disciplining me, in teaching me, he was patient with me. He never got frustrated. I never saw my dad get frustrated. We would go fishing, and I spent more times curled up in the bushes as a kid. And my dad would walk up the same way he always did, and he would say, here, hand me that. And he would take my rod, and he would begin to pull the tree down, and he would walk over, and he would cut it off, and we would start. And then he would hand to me and say, you made the mess. You can fix it. But he never lost. He would just work. The evidence of Christ in him was the patience that was found in him. And Paul's prayer here is this. God, would you produce in these people so much patience that that little eight-year-old boy who's standing alongside his father says, wow, whatever that is, I want it. Never said it out loud, but that's how I live my life. I wanted to be just like my dad because of how he lived this out. Patience. God's presence changes my timeline. That's what patience means. God's presence changes my timeline. See, the reason we're impatient is because we have our own schedule, our own timeline. We want it done our way in, in our schedule so that everything happens out just the way we planned. And God says, no, I have a plan that's a little different than yours. Be patient. Stop. Think about it. And then he ends this by saying this. (laughs) They're joyful. The reason I'm praying that the spiritual wisdom of God, the understanding of God, the spirit of God would be found in their heart so that they're joyful. Are you a curmudgeon Christian? Seriously, are you? Are you one of the people that every time you see someone say, wow, life is really tough. Man, you wouldn't believe what happened to me this week. Man, you can't believe how somebody took advantage of me. Well, my this broke, that broke. My so-and-so got cancer. This person's dying. That person's... Right? Doesn't mean none of that stuff happens. That's not what it's saying here. It's saying this. It's saying that the joy of God has such 
a hold of my heart that the first thing that comes out of me is the joy of Jesus Christ. God changed me. I'm a new person in Jesus Christ. Wow. The Father loved me so much that he sent the Son to give me life. Awesome. Every blessing that I have, everything that I own comes from God and he blesses me every day with his presence. The spirit of God is willing to show up in my life and help me through whatever it is that I'm facing and he grants me the power and the security and the ability to walk through this life in an incredible way. It should bring joy to our life. And instead, often as Christ followers, we're the biggest curmudgeons around. And when people see us coming, they turn and they go the other way. It's not because your breath's bad. Although that may be true. It's because of what's missing. The joy of Jesus Christ. And that joy leads to giving thanks. And being thankful for what God has done in us. Now, verse 13 and 14, we're going to wrap this up this morning. I want, to, I want to leave you with the end of this. Look at this, verse 13. Here's why Paul prays all this stuff. He says this, He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of of sin. Paul prays this so that you would understand who you are in Christ. You are his son. You are his daughter. You belong. He bought you with a price. And because we're in Christ, Paul says this, because you are in Christ, you pray for your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Let me stop and ask you a question. When was the last time that you spent any time, any effort, standing before God saying, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ because I want them to understand your greatness. I want them to know the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want them to experience the power and the strength of God living in them so that they could endure and be patient and full of joy. When was the last time that was your prayer? We are in Christ, not as a free ticket to heaven. <laughs> That's not it. It's not a fire escape from hell. That is not it. Christ saved us for a relationship with him to make a difference with the people that we live life with. That's why he saved us. That's his great love for us. So because I am in Christ, I pray for you. This week, I was sitting at my desk. I have a sticker that's up on my desk of a, with a name on it. And this week, I just I looked up and I'm like, God, I've got to pray for them. This happens to me. Two weeks ago, another lady, actually, as I was coming in, Kathy, I don't know why, but this week, God just laid me on your mind. I pray for you. God does that, and he wants us as Christ followers because we're in Christ to pray for one another. 
pray this week, would you please? Would you pray that folks would, your brothers and sisters in Christ, would experience the fullness of understanding God? That they would know the power of the Spirit working in them? That they would give away Jesus Christ? Pray for their health, that's fine, but do it at the end, just forget about it. It's just a little thing. Eternity is what matters, guys. And I'm not making light of our health. What I want you to understand is God wants the internals because the internal produces the external. You got it? The internal produces the external and the spirit of God wants to work on our internals. Would you pray that with me this week? Would you bow with me? Father, I pray with Paul. that we would understand the depth of the love of Christ for us. That we would allow the Spirit of God to own us. To work deeply in our being to produce in us the fruit of the Spirit. So that those who rub shoulders with us would experience the joy of Jesus Christ, the love of the Father for them, that we would endure through the struggles that we will face this week, that we will have the patience of God to trust you, and that in all things we'll give thanks for who you are. In your precious name we pray, amen. Go and be the church For Jesus Christ in the Oxford Hills this week, you're dismissed.